BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Yo, I'm comfortable talking to Mark Alford. He don't make me feel like I gotta kneel at a dark altar. His colleagues are cool, things are jolly and smooth. Anything else, it'll be part stupid and part awkward. Aaron Brockovich became a household name in 2000 when Julia Roberts played Aaron in the movie about her environmental fight out in California. I got the chance to get comfortable with Aaron as we talked about growing up in Lawrence, Kansas, and how her dyslexia actually helped her in those environmental fights. But I really wanted to start with her take on the recent Me Too movement and the fight for women's rights. I've been waiting my entire career for this. You know, I started way back in the 90s with communities and, you know, they didn't always speak up or, you know, they thought something was being taken care of. And then once they realized it wasn't, they kind of started to rise. And I think that we're in that moment where there's a real rise happening. And I'm very excited about it, you know, for women to find their voice and not be suppressed and not be afraid to speak up is fabulous. Uh, I'd be down there today if I was in L.A. For some men, like myself, I didn't realize uh, until this whole Me, Me Too movement came about the late last year, October, September, with the Harvey Weinstein, that it was that prevalent. And I was just ignorant, obviously, that this kind of thing still went on. Mm-hmm. What kind of message uh, do men need to hear? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, there might be different perceptions by different men. And as, as you understand, most of us do have different perceptions mm-hmm. of things. But I think it would be to, to listen. I would also think that, you know, I like to look at why when somebody is abusing their power or suppressing someone down, why they're doing that. And it's really about, you ask a question about what should men be doing, is backing up and taking a look at yourself. And where is it that you're feeling vulnerable or uncertain or insecure that you have to take that position to put someone down in order to feel better about yourself? And so I would encourage men to, and it's something that I don't know that they will always do. Women tend to do it better than men. To be self-reflective. Self-reflective. And ask yourself why it is that you're feeling that if you're in a power position, you have to manipulate or suppress or maneuver somebody into a place where we're seeing this entire fallout. And listen, these, these issues have happened to me too. And I've, I've learned a lot as I've gone on to self-reflect and how I'm going to behave or how I do or don't get into certain situations. And I think that that would be something men might not do, but should do. And When you say it's happened to you, good. have you been a victim of someone who's been aggressive or abusive? Oh my gosh, you would have to look at the line of work that I've been in and, you know, in the law and it's predominantly male and I've had many moments in my life where for some reason I can, and I'm very sensitive to suppression by the way and as I was sharing with you earlier, I'm a dyslexic. So very early on, I had people 
who didn't understand something want to put me in a box because mm -hmm. it made them feel more comfortable. And I learned very quickly, uh, I don't want to be in this box. So I've grown up with, if I feel you pushing on me, I'm going to definitely mm. respond. And Where did that that's come from? The dyslexia, because I was labeled. I was judged. Um, I was different. Um, and people didn't understand that back then. And so when we don't understand something, we tend to want to cover it up. Hmm. right mask it mask it and I think a lot of that has gone on and as we've flourished as a society and we're in a new world and the social technology has really hmm. opened up the doors we've Let's kind give of more people more voices too right? absolutely it? and it's peeled back those layers and we're able to see ourselves and we're able to speak up because we don't like that feeling of being hushed up or put down or put in a box and so we're really evolving into a new place with Me Too and the women's marches. And I think it's absolutely fabulous. And I've experienced that in a male-dominated world. And I really look at it as I've learned something very interesting recently um, in a situation like that where somebody's pushing on you and, and you take on, oh, I'm doing something wrong or, you know, maybe I should be put in my place. It's really when that happens 10% about you, but it's really 90% about that other person that's doing that to you and taking a look at mm. that. And How do you so make I've that person there. realize that though, that, hey, it's not me, buddy, it's you, and you need to reflect on your actions, what's going on <laughs> in you, especially when they have the power. Right. Well, you know, this is where I'm, I'm so happy to see it. Did you ever see the film Aaron Brockovich? Because yes. I've never taken too kindly to that. Um, <laughs> Again, from my own experiences from a very young age, being labeled, being judged, um, being told, you know, I was in a standard of conformance. I think that we've been that way for a long time, and we're, we're now waking up and out of that. And um, for me, that's where it comes from, where my defensiveness and how you get somebody to look at themselves well, I think that moment is clearly here. As these voices rise, those people who were suppressive, who were the abusers, are now having to take a look mm. at themselves. Does it go beyond that? Does it go uh, above the abuse and the power uh, abuse into something else that women in America are trying to get across to the general population? Is there another message, you think? Well, I think there's frustration, whether it be inequality with pay or their positions or their frustration um, and not being able to feel that they could exceed. You know, I've been asked this question before, and you would think the women's movement had come so far, and it's pretty startling to see that really we hadn't. We've been doing with the ERA since the 70s. So, Of course, that never passed, but right. there's still a struggle, you're saying. There is still a struggle. I mean, you're seeing it happening, and I think that that's what all these marches are about. And it isn't just about whether it be sexual abuse, in my opinion. And they're out there speaking their truth. There's safety now with them in numbers. And it will be about inequality, whether it's pay or why somebody in Hollywood is getting a higher pay as a man versus a woman, which, by the way, is happening in a lot of companies and not just in Hollywood. So I think there's a general... Um, moment in time here for women where you know we can rise to these positions that we feel we've been pushed down on and we can 
rise to that pay scale that we feel we've been pushed down on. And we can rise above this abuse of power and using it sexually to maneuver us. Mm. And we're becoming our own independent, really strong voices. And you're seeing them collectively in their movement. Um, like I said, I'd be in LA right now. I waited, I feel, my entire career to see this moment happen. And I think it's fabulous. And I am proud of every one of those women and how they've handled themselves and coming forward in a conversation that is very difficult to have, that we think we've evolved so far as a society, but yet we're really seeing we haven't wanted to have. Mm. And now we need to have that conversation. Where do you see this? ending if it does end it probably keeps evolving but this discussion and this this acceptance and this um, knowledge that people are receiving from mm -hmm. this where do, where do you see it going from here uh, i think we see a lot more women in um, different positions and you know we're seeing more women in politics and we're seeing more women in finance and we're seeing more women in wall street and we're seeing more women doctors i think you're going to see more women in a whole lot more professions than um, maybe we have before. And I think where it's going is um, equality. True equality. Yes. Growing up in Lawrence, Kansas. Mm, the best. The be What did you like about Lawrence? Oh my gosh. Um, the freedom. You know, my mom and my dad, my family, the open skies. Uh, you know, I come back here and there's such beauty. Um, I don't know, not mm. everyone sees it, but the wheat fields blowing in the wind, you know, the Flint Hills, the open skies, even watching thunderstorms roll in, the smell of the rain. So <laughs> there's so much, you know, I'm such, I love my environment. Um, I hope everyone knows that about me, but it was just free. It, it was safe. You know, we would be playing outdoors on a summer night mm -hmm. at 10 o'clock and not worried about strange things happening. And it was safe and free and open. I loved it. You spent a lot of time in Kansas City though too, right? I spent a lot of time in Kansas City. Now a lot of time in Kansas City <laughs> came for me a little later in life. Um, I've spent a lot of time at different activities. <laughs> different activities. <laughs> um, definitely, you know, I've been to the Chiefs games and Royals games, but for us Arrowhead Stadium was about concerts, you know, right. and getting away from the parents and um, a lot of, you know, sports rivalries. So you're going to hear me share tonight, but uh, if any of you have a missing tiger tail, Hmm. <laughs> I probably took it. <laughs> so I'm a Jayhawker fan, really? so we'd steal the tails. Okay. Yeah. We'll get back to that in just a second, but I want to ask you a little bit more about on the environmental end. Mm. Did you ever think, um, well, growing up in Lawrence, that you would have such an impact in the world and the environment and regulation and sniffing out some things that were previously not addressed when it comes to the environment? No, I didn't see any of this coming. Um, my dream, now a little bit of what I wanted, I'm seeing happening later in my career. I actually wanted to be a doctor. Um, I love public health and welfare. I love people. I value health, and that is something that my father and mother taught me. The greatest gifts mm. we have are our family, our health, and our right to clean water and good land. And, you know, people say, well, you don't have a right to clean water. Um, this is a human condition we're talking about. And, yes, we all need water, and we should all have clean, safe water. So it was in my head. <laughs> mm -hmm. But did I stop to think that, you know, I'd uncover a case in Hinkley, California with hexavalent chromium, something I couldn't even pronounce that I hadn't studied for and that 
somebody to make a film about it and Julia Roberts would star in it. No way. But you didn't grow up thinking, I'm going to be a champion for the environment. I'm going to be um, someone who has a voice in the envir for environmental causes. That's an excellent question. Consciously, no. Unconsciously, I think I was there, as I shared with you earlier, about because of my learning disability, right. I wasn't accepting at a very early age stand down, I don't understand it, be quiet, we're gonna put you in special ed, and go away. And so I pushed out of that. And so unconsciously, maybe I knew this would be where I was headed, but at the time I wouldn't have thought that. And interestingly enough, you just posed a really good question that made me stop and go, mm. you know what, maybe it was there. Not necessarily mm. consciously, but subconsciously. That the seed was planted. It has been. Mm. Okay, hold right Good there. Good question. Thank you. Uh, Alex, if you want to get some cutaways, buddy, and then I'll continue for my podcast. I could okay? talk forever. I know you'll edit no, it. No, I love talking, so that's good. I grew up in, in television. I've done this for so long. I know how to get the good sound bites and roll on, and we'll do that for TV, but I really like having conversations yeah. for people, and that's why I started this podcast, because I don't get to have conversations with people. Yeah, I like having Everything's done in a minute and a half too. or you well, know, we live off sound bites. Yeah, and there's more to life than a sound mm -hmm. bite. So tell me, how did dyslexia help you discover the problems in Hinckley, California? Well, um, my dyslexia is, um, a lot of dyslexics can't read. I can read, but I don't necessarily read to comprehend. And at a very young age, um, my mom, who is a journalist. Wait, hold on, wait. Hmm? You don't see words backwards then? No. I'm not, I don't comprehend. I can read it. Now, I will transpose. Mm -hmm. There will be times I'll see pots when I stop. Mm -hmm. I will transpose numbers, but it's not the big part of my problem. It was more my reading comprehension. And there's a couple of people in my life that saved me um, with the dyslexia because back then, we still don't really know a lot about it other than I think historically we think we're learning disabled, but we're actually very smart. Mm -hmm. Differently abled. Differently abled. But you know, none of us are the same. There's not just one way to think, right? And there's right. just not one way to skin a cat. And my mom was very instrumental to me as a journalist and a sociology major, and she understood the importance of keeping my self-esteem intact with a learning disability. So um, when did you know that you had this disability as a child? My mom, um, as I was getting ready to share, caught it very early on. She used to be a school teacher. She goes, it's interesting because I started switching my shoes. Hmm. And I knew right from left, but suddenly I started to switch. Now, so I was about five. And they'd read with me, and my mom would kind of notice that she wasn't really retaining it. Was she reading? So little things were kind of setting my mom off. But what she was surprised by was visually when I see it, I never forgot where it was. So you could not beat me at a game of memory. Well, that's an advantage. Could not beat me at a game of memory. And she was very intrigued by that. So she started to focus on a strong suit of my learning skills. Right. She spent a lot of time arguing, and I remember this even back in the third grade, my third grade teacher who I adored, Winnie Bowersocks. She could kind of see that she knows, but she doesn't, but the standard said she needs to be in special ed. And that's what my mom fought against because mm. she was afraid that my self-esteem. You'd be stigmatized? Uh-huh. And I was. And we talked about that a little earlier, you know. 
the whole women's movement right. and stuff, and I think that we have done that. We're not consciously aware we've done it. <laughs> we are now, mm. but we were doing it. And so my mom was instrumental to me. Um, school teachers, Kathy Borseth in high school was instrumental to me, and I've talked about her a lot before. She would see in class and have an open discussion. I knew everything, but then we'd have to go home and study chapters and come back and have a quiz, and I'd fail. Hmm. So she finally asked me what's going on, and I said, well, I, I really don't know because I do know the information, but I can't tell you how I figure out the information because I'm visual, I observe, I do different things. Um, she said, well, you failed the test. She said, I want to do something with you. I'm going to rip this test up. I'm going to scramble up the questions. And I'm going to give you the test orally. A plus. Really? A plus. She goes, okay, I really don't understand what's going on. <laughs> she said, but we're going to do this again. Well, every test I failed, but I knew everything and she knew it. She'd give it to me orally. A plus, A plus, A plus. Wow. And what she did for me with my self-esteem, let alone my GPA, <laughs> which was always pretty low, was very helpful. Hmm. And so I grew up actually feeling very misunderstood and I learned how to be accepted by being a class clown or cute or fun and it wasn't necessarily about my mm. skills. Do you like and that acceptance now, the affirmation when you're up on stage like you're going to be and people really enjoy hearing from you, hearing about your life and the applause, does that, that's got to feel good. It does. I spend a lot of time deflecting it off of me, though, because Why? I, um, because I never did any of this alone. It, mm. it was a it was a labor of love. So you feel like you weren't worthy of the accolades, maybe? There's so many of us that are dyslexic, and it's just. I think what I'm happy about is that we've become more accepting and more open and less judgmental and more embracing of people that are different hmm. than shunning them away. That's your only really change in the last 15, 20 years Absolutely. though. Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, as I said to you earlier, I feel like I've been waiting my whole career hmm. for this movement, this women's movement and the Me Too movement. Um, because it was about, you know, 20 years ago, I was out there doing Hinkley and it was very odd for me to be in that situation. And there's, there's a whole storm that began to brew for me in Hinckley, which I'm going to talk about tonight, but it was my parents' upbringing. Um, it was about mom teaching me to have stick to It was my dad's lesson of lying and what happens when we lie hmm. and the disrespect that it causes and the cover-ups. It comes from my father teaching me the value of water when I had my own family and I could really start appreciating this and I'm out in Hinkley. Where did your dad get that though? Why, did he, why was oh. he so stalwart? Um, uh, well that's who he is. Um, truth and water. Well you know my dad's an interesting man and um, I find politics interesting and it's it's kind of strange everyone assumes I'm a Democrat but I was raised in a very strong Republican mm -hmm. family. Well in Kansas. <laughs> Absolutely and my dad was an industry man. He mm -hmm. ran the pipelines for Texaco. He's a mechanical engineer. But yet he's the very man that taught me the value of water mm. and land. And he saw what was happening and where it was going wrong. So he was planting a seed somewhere in my head that I think he thought I knew I'd understand. And that was just through my common sense set of skills 
as a dyslexic, that's what I relied on. We've moved away from our observation, our intuition, our common sense set of skills. And when I was in Hinkley, all those came into play for me. And I was just not going to stand there and go, oh, 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 wait a minute, I'm sorry. You're going to try to tell me that two-headed frog in green water is normal? <laughs> BS. No, it's not. And I stood out because I know what I saw was real. And I wasn't going to let you convince me what I saw wasn't real. There was no way. I backed up and I stood on principle. And that's where my fought, you know, my fight came from. And it wasn't a small fight. I mean, this is kind of a Davy and David and Goliath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, people have said that about you before, standing up against industry giants and the multi, multi, multi million dollars they had in legal funds and fees to Oh, to hundreds of millions yeah. of dollars. And you know, it's and that's why I've said I've I don't when I say deflect it off of me, I'm uncomfortable because I don't get all the credit alone. I mean, the lawyers were amazing. I mean, the people, the community was amazing. Had they not organized, you know, it was one thing when there was one person involved for PG&E. Mm -hmm. That's a no-brainer for PG&E. But it was my years of work on the ground. I'm a foot soldier. I'm comfortable being that. And getting them information. See, I know I'm visual. I knew they needed to see it. Seeing is believing. They couldn't understand it. But see, when they saw the green water, they're like, wait a minute, that's not right. When they see a document, they'd be going, wait a minute, that's not right. When they'd see their neighbor and they'd go, wait a minute, that's happening to you too. Things became very real for them. Mm -hmm. And then it became me finding 25 more, and then 25 more, and then 100 more, and then 150 more. And suddenly PG&E now has to go, Houston, we have a problem? Because it's not one. It's 500 and growing. Those numbers say something. So it was the community. They gave more to me than I think I ever gave to them. Their strength, their courage, they stood up, the lawyers, everyone. That's the beauty for me of what happened in Hinkley, the film that got a little lost, if you ask me, from the time the film came out to today, is us collectively hmm. working together but now the to name, doing something good. The name Aaron Brockovich means something, whether you like to hear that or not, but it does mean to big corporations and those who may be polluting our environment, it means, oh, they're bringing Aaron Brockovich in we got trouble. Hide the records. Yeah. <laughs> I'll find them anyway. <laughs> How does that make you feel that you're, you're a name to be reckoned with, really? I mean, when there was a, a case up in St. Joe, a case in Cameron here in Missouri, yep, yep. Uh, you worked on those, and it really got the attention of the media, and it got people's ears when Aaron Brockovich came to town. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad and I'm sad. How sad that you come into a community where the local media people aren't listening. See, there we're going to go. I'm going to back myself right up to that kid <laughs> in high school. And others are going to try to convince the farmers and those people out there in St. Joe that what they were experiencing wasn't happening. I saw that in Hinkley. It drove me crazy. And this is where I love people now realizing oh, this stuff really could be real. I'm very thankful for the media, and they have definitely um, – 
befriended me. I feel I have a wonderful relationship with them and they will come out and they do want to get involved and they do want to ask questions. And I know there's always two sides to the argument. But in St. Joe, I also saw bad, saw bad headlines. You know, the mm -hmm. state says there is no cancer thing here. Well, we're going to talk about that tonight. And is that case dead now, the tanning? It's settled. Company? Settled, It's okay. settled. Mm -hmm. And so companies don't just come around and settle something if they're certain on the science that it doesn't do this. Even if they want to make it go away? Mm. Not typically? They'll fight. They yeah. will definitely fight. There's, there's no question in my mind whatsoever, period. People don't understand enough about hexavalent chromium. Um, you get into the science of it, it's very boring. What it is it, for those who don't know? What is, on our podcast, what is Well, like in Hinkley, chromium? California, it's a great anti-rust, anti-corrosive inhibitor. And it's highly toxic. And it's used, like, for airplanes. They spray it on wings because it's anti-rust. You don't mm -hmm. want airplane wings right. rusting, do you? Um, the chemical, like, is used in the tannery process because it makes the hide just slide right off. And we create all this hazardous waste, which... In that Ended tannery, up in fertilizer, right? Who does it? Mm -hmm. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Okay, see now we're gonna now you're gonna get me going. I mean, we've got to figure out as a country, as a as a global world, how we're gonna dispose of our hazardous waste. You can't take hazardous waste and spread it there. on the field, <laughs> and then deceive the farmers and their families like that. I'm mm. sorry. You can say what you want about me, but that's not right. There's just really some dumb shits in this world, though. There is, but you know, <laughs> when you run up against them, you know, don't be afraid to say, I don't think so. Don't give me that. How many days uh, a week are you on the road speaking to different groups and organizations? Half the year and the other half the year I'm with communities working on environmental issues. Wow. How do you do that, Spencer? I mean, it's like a, a tour, like a... I feel like, you know... A musician out on yeah, the tour. Yeah, You kind of just get in, in your head game and you're out there doing it. Um, I love what I'm doing, so it doesn't always feel like work. I love people. I'm constantly learning. Um, I love to snoop. I, I like to figure things out. That's always been fun to me. So I think a lot of it is it's my, just not my job. It's my life. It's who I am. How does and I'm having fun living it. So when someone has something going on in their community which doesn't add up maybe there's a cluster of cancer somewhere or some abnormality healthcare abnormality how do you end up finding out about that and get involved do they actively seek you out they email me really mm -hmm. I have a website how many of those do you get it can vary I mean when the film first came out we were getting hundreds of thousands of years um, a year I can get 2,000 in a month it can be a slow month how do you and process all those it's very difficult um, it's very difficult and check the veracity of them um, well you kind of have to be able to read between the lines perfect example is Flint Michigan mm. I knew about Flint a year before any of you knew what was going what on with Flint what a disaster that was absolutely and Melissa How did that Mays, ever happen? Uh, they switched river water right. and then Just they like, tried hey, to cover it up. Yeah. And it, see, it's the cover up. That's what my father taught me. Right. You'll hear me say that tonight. Deception. Just like Nixon. The downfall <laughs> of all of us, mm -hmm. anybody. When that secret begins, that's where it all will go bad. And so the mothers, you know, again, you had a community strong. Melissa Mays emailed me. And she was now in an Aaron Brockovich fight. Hmm. Well, I was out of the country. 
So I forwarded the email to our water expert, and he emailed me back. He said, I'm going to Flint tomorrow. He knew right away what was wrong. Wow. So and the that's media, how people come to me. The media coverage certainly helped with that because when you saw the sludge that was coming out and what these families were dealing with, uh, you could, I mean, it was, everyone could identify with that. Absolutely. See, there's that visual moment mm -hmm. and we all know it. And so I think if we don't see it, we think therefore it isn't real. And we're now starting to see that these things, in fact, are real for people in Flint who didn't always believe in Hinkley, you know, because they couldn't see the green water. I did. How do I make it real for them? Well, now they've got it happening in their own backyard, and it suddenly became very real for them. And I see that happening again. Somebody just sent me a video. Um, they're from Tennessee, and they were at their aunt's house, and he was trying to help her sell it, but he couldn't because of the water. And so he was doing a reach out to his Facebook friends. And he went over to the sink, there was a bucket, and he turned on the water, and it was just yellow and green hmm. and brown. And, and he looked at that, and he says, now you look at that. That's just not right. That looks like a bull just took a big piss in my bucket. <laughs> well, there you go. I, and it's true. We make things complicated, and sometimes they're just really not. And so when you see something, say something. And oftentimes we're afraid to speak up because someone's going to go, you're crazy. Hmm. And then you have the issue with, it's so complex. My fourth book is coming out. Uh, we hope by the end of the year, um, uh, Knopf bought the book. Um, <clears throat> it's the truth about America's water supply. And it's the truth about the policies that we've set and how we've set up a system up to fail. Like by way of example, we're going to talk about Flint. Let's talk about the lead and copper rule <clears throat> real quick. It's set up where we only have to test for lead once every four years. A lot can happen between... Once every four yeah. years. And then you get to average your samples. So the poor person at the end of that pipeline that has high lead levels is never going to know it. Hmm. So it's about how the policies work. <coughs> Excuse me. Why don't you run for office and get the policies changed? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of policies to change. I don't know. I could pull my hair out on that one. I've had a lot of people ask me that. What's the answer? Um, well, I don't know. I, I don't know if I do more good on the outside where I can mm. find these issues and bring them to light. People say you get on the inside and that's where you get stuck. Well, when you inside. see what's going on now with a government shutdown I know. and total gridlock in Washington, maybe you are doing more good on the outside. You're bringing attention and awareness and a voice that really couldn't, wouldn't be heard on the floor of the House or the Senate. Absolutely not because, you know, they're in their bubble. I, I said it in the beginning, I'm a foot soldier. Hmm. You know, I remember working with a young gentleman, um, Trevor Schaefer, who had a brain tumor, and he beat it. He's from Idaho, and all of his friends didn't. And he swore he'd do something about it, and he and I both testified several years ago um, to the Environmental Works Committee. And they're like, all these people are reporting? All these people, why do we not know that? And we're like, oh my gosh, the, the disconnect. Because they're in their bubble. Hmm. There's a whole world going on out here. I would love to stop any senator up there and ask them, how many Superfund sites do you have in your state? Because they're not going to know. Really? They're not going to know. It's amazing. Hmm. We have some 30,000 Superfund sites now that aren't cleaned up. 30,000. Wow. We have an agency that's failing. 
and a lot of cutbacks in the EPA. Absolutely. The There's good people in there, but they're overburdened, understaffed, and underfunded. I've seen this coming for a very long time. It's broken my heart with communities to say the EPA's here, and I'm like, oh, that could be the death of you now because, see, once it's identified, then it just we just think it goes Kinda away. Kind of goes away. But it doesn't. And I tell communities all the time, I really want to call my next book, Superman's not coming. Hmm. I think that moment is here for all of us. That's why we're seeing the Me Too, the Women's March, the rise. Um, and we're realizing we're going to have to start rescuing ourselves. Hmm. Well, Erin, thank you. To a lot of women, you're superwoman. Oh, no. <laughs> so I appreciate you being here, and well, thanks for getting comfortable with well, Marvel. thank you. I hope I didn't like you. You know, you, I'll go all, you have to kind of pull me back. Wait a minute, you're Aaron, like we're talking about this. Where'd she go? I'm comfortable talking to Mark Alford. He don't make me feel like I gotta kneel at a dark altar. His colleagues are cool, things are jolly and smooth. Anything else, it'll be part stupid and part awkward. Do your homework before you talk to a vet. That way you won't get no static camera from tech. I'm on my own planet, I'm in my zone, damn it.